Okay. <laughs> Life has a funny way of bringing us full circle. Sometimes it's not the way that we imagined, but as we journey through the challenges and victories of life, one day we eventually find that we have arrived. Not to say that we can stop and relax, but we find purpose and know that this is the reason why we were born. My guest on today's episode of Africa State of Mind fits this, 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 this description. From a young age, he knew he wanted to make a difference and impact the education systems in a positive way in Nigeria, his home country, and Africa as a whole. In 2015, he launched Nova Pioneer Schools, and currently as the CEO and co-founder of the schools, they have schools in South Africa and Kenya. The best part about his dream and life's purpose is that it will impact and change the lives of the most important resource that we have in Africa, our children, the future generations of Africa. Chinese Chijoke is changing the African narrative and he's my guest today on Africa State of Mind. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. <laughs> so good to have you. Thank you so much for taking time out because I know that you're really busy. That's a real pleasure. So let's, can you take us back to your first memory of what school was like in Nigeria before you moved to the States? Interesting. I, I, I recall... Um, I think I've been blessed throughout to have gone uh, to have sort of good memories of school, mm-hmm. but um, but I recall uh, what I recall from my schools in Nigeria. I went to university primary school in Nsaka, which is sort of a college town in eastern in eastern Nigeria. And I remember there was a couple of teachers who stood out. It's yeah. always the eccentric teachers, you yes. know, <laughs> who make a difference. And there's actually a truth to that. There's a truth that often yeah. it's the teachers who, who buck the trend who often have the most impact. Mm. But um, but um, this was Miss Ozamado. Okay. And I remember it's Ms. Ozamada. She sort of characterized for me what UNN, the UNN experience was like. Yes. Yeah. That's, so you're from the eastern part of Nigeria? Yeah, I grew up in southeast Nigeria okay. uh, in, uh, in a town called, a uh, university town. That okay. was in Saka. It was where uh, the University of Nigeria, Nigeria's first, sort of first okay. post-independence university was started. Okay. And my parents were both uh, faculty there. Okay. And are you from Abia State? I'm from Abia State, yeah. From uh, Ab- isn't Ab- that where anything, you can buy anything. If you need something, just go to Abia State. <laughs> made in Abia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> made in Abia. There's a huge mar- uh, sort of market town yeah. called Abba in Abia State. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, made in Abba made in Abia Abba. State. Okay, exactly, okay, okay. Exactly. I'm trying, I'm trying. Almost there, almost there. That's pretty good. Now, most um, African families, I know with myself, you know, being Ugandan, when it comes to education, there are always people within your family yeah. who are either really, well, first of all, education is a huge issue, but then mm-hmm. you also tend to find people who are highly educated. Mm-hmm. What kind of family background do you come from in terms of um, educationally? Yeah, so I come from a family that's, I think, educationally, uh, I think this. The, the greatest privilege mm-hmm. I think I've benefited from sort of family privilege is coming from a very academic family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were not a we're not a wealthy family. We mm-hmm. don't come from sort of long lineage of wealth. But man, we've been, have we been really privileged to have uh, parents who are very academic? My father was Nigeria's first electrical engineering professor. Oh. Uh, st- studied in the pre-independence days in the University of Ibadan, the University of London. Um, and my mother is an academic too, a historian of sort of Quaker history. And growing, and we, our dinner conversations around, I, I grew up in a home where we had dinner conversations that were always very like intellectual and debated and, mm. and reasoned. And as a result, I think school therefore felt very at home and the mm. academic journey felt very at home. And I actually, I don't, I don't take that for granted. Mm. I think, um, if you, if you, I, I, when I eventually moved into a business world, for example, and I realized I did not grow up around a table where mm. folks talked about business. 
right? Mm-hmm. And and I realized folks who grew up in that environment had a certain sort of sixth sense, an understanding of the language, the intuition, yeah. the considerations of business that I didn't grow up with. Yes. But I had this from a, sort of an academic family, and I think that was a huge sort of source of strength and privilege mm-hmm. in being able to sort of make it uh, successfully through schools. Yeah, You know, when you said something, it sparked something that I've heard my judger, my grandfather mm-hmm. say, and my dad says it quite a lot. Um, you said about how you didn't come from a wealthy family, but they were educated. And I somehow in my mind, I kind of get a sense in general with a certain generation of people within Africa, wealth is quantified in education. Mm, you know, mm, like that's absolutely. how that's how almost like status comes about with the kind of education that you've had. Would you say the well, same? I thing? think it's a real. I, I think in two ways uh, mm. that makes that resonates. One is I think there's uh, in, in much of the content there's uh, just a fundamental intrinsic value of education and erudition and learning. Mm-hmm. It's valuable in its own sense as a source of. Uh, Interests, a source of respect, it's a source of community status as well. Yeah. But it's also linked to that second point, I think also been historically part of social mobility. Mm. You know, schools, particularly back with the um, sort of the uh, initial sort of missionary schools and yes. modeling schools, have been a, p- a pathway to success. Yes. Um, and when they are, communities really gravitate towards them. I think when they're not, then they sort of betray that promise. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. That's very true. So now let's, let's um, mm. so from Nigeria, in the eastern part of Nigeria, yes. are you there? moved over to the States. Yeah. Correct. And so I have two questions. One of them is a little bit funnier. Sure. Did they get your name the first time? (laughs) Did you have to uh, change your name? I I think think everyone's still trying to figure out my name. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure it was quite a thing. So that's the one thing. And then secondly, what was the transition like um, going into a school in the States, uh, you know, compared to a school in Nigeria? Yeah. So I'll Two, 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 one story in each. Really, first on the name. It's funny when I grew up, when I was living in Nigeria and Osaka, going to school. What's really funny is then folks call me by my English middle name, which is which is Mark. Okay, Ma- oh, which okay. Is funny. okay. So you, your parents were like, "Listen, no, no." My <laughs> my parents were always call me Chinese, but my yeah, school. Yeah. But what's the irony was when I moved to the states. Yes, that's that's when folks in schools often start calling me Chinese. Which is interesting, and so it was obviously with or whatever, whatever best attempt at Chinese <laughs> was possible, and so um, it's funny the irony that actually when I left Igbo land was when sort of um, uh, my uh, Igbo name started getting used more. Uh, but uh, anyway, my family had always used Chinese. Um, but yes, about the transition, um, it was and when you sort of introduced introduced me earlier, uh, you talked about uh, my sort of. The, the good fortune I've had of finding purpose very early. Mm. And actually that transition from a Nigerian school to uh, uh, school in the States was part of finding that purpose, I think. I do think it's been my uh, greatest professional blessing mm. today uh, was, was finding quite early a sense of something that was very purposeful. Mm. And in that transition, I remember it was, it must, I, I was literally 12, 13 in a playground in sort of in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, uh, sort of just enjoying the resource that yeah. was a school in Swarthmore, a Legacy Eight Primary School, where I was, and think about the caliber of peers mm-hmm. at home, and just mm. the incredible caliber of peers. And I just got so excited about the possibility of, man, if we could create institutions that had mm. this kind of either resource or excellence of opportunity, the, the it would be like fuel to the flame mm. of my peers, mm. and. Uh, and I, I just grew up among amazing peers in in uh, in Osaka, 
And so I just got really excited by the idea of one day being part of teams or a team that could build, you know, whether it was universities or schools or sports academies, but educational institutions, which would sort of enable us to unleash our talents and passions, you know. Mm, <laughs> uh, sure. And um, and it was actually part of that transition that very quickly sort of got me thinking, man, this is something that I, I could I could uh, live happy and die happy doing. Yeah, you know? sure, definitely. That's such yeah. a nice place to be, to know that you're doing something that you live happy and die happy do- yeah. doing, because a lot of people don't find that yeah. at all. Now, um, I read that your your middle school teacher was a huge influence on you. Can you talk to us just a, like maybe share one antidote of like something yeah, like no, a, I, amazing conversation sure. with her. So that is a, a series of amazing, but uh, amazing teachers. But I but I think I think you must be referring to uh, Mrs. Sparrow. Yes, um, uh, Mrs. Sparrow. Uh, was my principal in the middle okay. school that I moved to in South oh, wow. Pennsylvania. Okay. She was a principal. <laughs> and um, I was, uh, it's actually funny because on, on the day that we opened Nova Pioneer, we opened Nova Pioneer, our first Nova Pioneer school in uh, January of 2015. Um, the, it was, I think it was January 15th or January 16th. And the night before, I thought about Miss Sparrow. I hadn't thought about Miss Sparrow mm-hmm. uh, probably for 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know? I certainly hadn't talked to her yeah. since my school days. <laughs> and... Um, and so I searched her down. I searched, like I went online. It's amazing what you, how you can track people down. Yeah, I, these days, I, I, yeah. I called her and I said, um, Mrs. Sparrow, I just wanted to call. Um, uh, this is Chinesi. And she said, who, who is that? Chinesi? Chinesi, exactly. She said, Chinesi. I said, this is Chinesi. And I don't know if you remember. And I'm about to tell you what, I, what, it, what it was that she should remember. But uh, you did encur- you encourage me all those years ago to, all those years ago to, to sort of dream big. And not worry about the how, but just mm. imagine the possibilities and let my life sort of just live into it. And I went, was calling to say thank you. And I said, I just want to say thank you. Sure. Just here's what we're doing. Tomorrow we're opening doors on our first school. And, mm. you know, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I'm excited. But I, I wanted to call just to say thank you. And mm. she's now in her, or she was at that point in the mid-80s. And it was great to reconnect. And she was very excited to hear what, you know, what was happening because it's part of her legacy. But um, uh, the reason I was, I was thankful to her is, is when I first moved to the U.S., I was sort of adjusting to culture, right? And I think she saw this sort of uh, young young boy, 11-year-old, trying to sort of awkwardly adjust to, to new culture. And she asked me about where I was from. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm from Nigeria. I said, well, that's fascinating. I'd love to visit Nigeria one day. And so a naive little me, I go home and I say, mommy, 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 uh, Miss Sparrow says she'd like to come to Nigeria. <laughs> Can she come to Nigeria? <laughs> so um, we... Uh, uh, we, we called my dad, still living in Nigeria at the time, so we, I guess we got on the phone and, and spoke to him. And he said, of course you can visit, of course you can visit. So I go, I go back to school uh, a couple of days later, the next day or whatever it was, and say, Mrs. Sparrow, knock on the office and say, Mrs. Sparrow, my dad said you can visit. Uh, would oh, you come visit? Sure. And you can imagine, she must have thought at that point, thought like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what have I got myself into? <laughs> you know? I can imagine. She was like, it was just a comment. It was just, I was just trying to connect, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, to her credit, she said, wonderful. And that summer she came into Nigeria. Oh wow! And this was this was in the uh, this was like uh, must be like late eighties, early nineties. So, sure. so she was. This was uh, sort of a, the military regime was either Babangida or Abacha yes, at that point. Yes. Babangida. And um, she came and she had a wonderful time. But in that visit, one is she role modeled follow through and her commitment. She role modeled sort of a joy of learning because she mm. just she just wasn't like she connect with everybody and she was just a, an amazing connection. But also in that trip, she is when she said um, she asked me about my aspirations and my dreams, and she said. Just, just, just dream about the possibility. Like mm. the only thing that for, is for sure is if you don't, you won't. So dream, imagine it's possible, mm. it's valid, you can do it. Don't worry about the how just yet. Mm. You have many years to figure that out. Just imagine. And um, I think that really gave me permission to aspire to. Mm. So it wasn't. It was not no, no coincidence that sure. a few months later uh, or like a year later, I sort of landed on this vision that my life has sort of lived into since. 
That's incredible. I'm just, I'm even still just in, I'm just amazed that she actually went to Nigeria, <laughs> especially, you know, at that particular time and, yeah. you know, in history where easy. Nigeria was, it wasn't easy at mm. all, but it shows a lot. It's, I think it's really awesome when you meet people who just, as you said, follow through, you mm. know, and this is something that, um, you are very passionate about and it's become the mantra of the school just this this whole idea of excellence and and self you know self mastering talk to us a little bit about some of those values that are being instilled um with the children yeah so fundamentally what our aspiration and our intent in mm-hmm. starting over pioneers to have schools where young people could grow up to shape the world mm-hmm. not just sort of say have yeah, i want to get earn a certificate and find job and work mm-hmm but actually live into their full potential and promise of saying, I can actually shape the world for the better into my vision. And that's why we call ourselves schools for innovators and leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and it means is we want our students uh, consistently throughout their time, and over pioneer from the time they're three, mm-hmm. through the time they're 18 and frankly beyond, uh, having experiences where they're doing a few things. One is they're learning to turn their ideas into manifest impact. So whether sure. it's uh, our powerful. preschoolers or our grade, uh, grade ones who are doing projects that they can actually make visible their work, make visible ideas that have actually influenced how we do things as a school. Mm-hmm. So uh, real meaningful projects turn ideas into impact. And do that throughout our, our secondary school students who are writing books now, who are presenting TED Talks, or who are, you know, mm-hmm. who are really just making solving problems and connecting their points of passion to problems and making those manifest. And Because our sense is you don't wait till you're 30 or 40 to become an innovator leader. Mm-hmm. You actually build a life habit. It's a practice like of that. connecting your passions to problems and to mm-hmm. ideas and and there's actually a, a great book by Tony Wagner called Creating Innovators that's about that um, um, talks about the progression from play to passion to purpose and that's absolutely right you want kids exploring playing making the ideas come to life building passions around it and then applying that passion to a problem because that becomes purposeful and that's the life progression and like when we do all that like ultimately like what we hope um, what, what I hope our students get out of that out of Nova Pioneer, which connects back to Sandy, Spar- to Sandy Sparrow, is a fundamental learning that they are capable. Mm-hmm. What, what she said to me was, uh, don't worry about the how just now, just fundamentally know you can. Sure. Have faith in that. And then let your own efforts prove it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do for our students mm-hmm. our years, is is have the opportunity, is have them have the opportunity to discover not what they can do, not, oh, I'm not good at math, mm-hmm. I'm not good at science, I'm not good at arts. That's what too much of school's about. We want to be different in the way where young people learn what I can do, that I'm fundamentally capable. And the way I discover that is by working hard to try to create, to do something challenging and meaningful and discovering, oh my goodness, I, really, I can do that? Mm. And then, you, and that's just a snowball that builds. And so that's fundamental at its core is building young people can shape the world by discovering that they can. Yes. Obviously in a context of strong academic rigor of, you know, beyond, beyond classroom opportunities that create the substance of it. But that core learning of I can is what you find yourself. And, and I think that that's something that, you know, as you as you were speaking and explaining that, that's something that we can even learn in our adult ages, you know, Absolutely. just that whole idea that it is actually possible because that's what it comes down to fundamentally, you know. Um, now, so let's talk about, because you know, I've been traveling around the continent quite a lot and one of the things that I've been, that I've seen in the, in this past year has been, you know, just with regards to tech and innovation and that's how that's changing, um, you know, Young people's lives And how that's changing The story around yeah. Africa In such fascinating ways yeah. You know I was never a tech person Until I met people Who were doing awesome things yeah. Very tangibly Now 
with regards so I, I I said that to ask this um with regards to um education and innovation can you just explain a little bit more how you see that working and how perhaps in general the education system around the continent can possibly change um to in order to accommodate the way that the world has changed yeah there's, there's sort of two ways to think about technology interfacing with our learning and our mm-hmm. education one is how can it shape uh how how is the technology a tool for the things that create great learning experiences? Mm-hmm. So whether that is interaction, collaboration across our students who are in South Africa and Kenya doing joint projects through Zoom or Skype, like for instance, that's technology as a tool, awesome. or whether it's our students doing uh, having getting rich data from online map assessments, these assessments we use, which are, can enable us to benchmark their growth, not just with their peers in their school, but across the world to make sure our students are globally skilled and, and growing at a rate that is uh, that exceeds global norms. So there are ways that we can you know, apply technology as a tool or whether it is uh, students using it to explore uh, explore the ideas by or by writing and giving peer feedback on writing. That's technology as a tool. But the other way, which I think is really important too, is is at students being able to use technology to create, mm. right? Students, so because you don't just want to grow up as, wow, I'm a, with a mindset of I'm a consumer of technology. You want to grow up, I'm, I'm a creator of the technologies mm. that solve the problems, which I'm impassioned about, right? And that is where you might get coding, where you might get robotics, where we have on a, on a, every Friday, our primary schools have what's called an exploration day in which they're doing work that integrates science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics around a set of really interesting challenges. And they're, so we, whether it's, whether it is through coding or whether it is through building stuff, sort of more mechanical building, um, you want an experience where young people are learning to that technology is something that enables them to create. And then what we're doing is growing up creators and producers of technology, not just consumers of it uh, mm. for their practice. Sure. And then now the application process and the kinds of students that are allowed to get into the school. Yeah. Um, what is the process around that? Because I know that it's not the education. I mean, people pay this, you know, yeah. to be at yes. the school. So it's not um, what the Oprah Leadership Academy does or yes. an example, the Labawi Academy in yes. um, Ethiopia. But um, so what is the whole process around that? Because I imagine that you look for very specific types of students to be able to get into these schools. Yeah. So and, and it gets it gets increasingly selective as you get um, uh, closer to secondary school, obviously. Um, but um, we are, yes, yeah, so the first thing is for students and families to uh, to be aligned to both the culture and the intent and the mission of what Nova Pioneer is about, mm-hmm. developing innovators and leaders. And, be, and that's the first thing. The second is that um, students are able to handle the, what are pretty rigorous demands. There is a selection and academic, academic selection process. Obviously in grade R and grade one and grade mm-hmm. Two, we want to make sure that students are ready for the classroom they're going into, but you, you, it, it would be irresponsible to make a life judgment about a, mm. a one-year-old, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, a first grader, sorry, entering first grader, a six, six-year-old. And so, um, but so for that, we want to make sure one is we're, that the family that's joining understands Nova Pioneer, yes. that the, our students are grade, grade ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then if there's that sort of fit, then uh, we, we would admit, and obviously it does, we try to keep our fees as, as affordable as possible, yes. but there are fees. And then secondary school, going towards secondary school, it does become more and more academically selective and selective around the qualities of leadership uh, and innovation. Um, because there you are already joining sort of pretty late in one's, uh, mm. at one point in one's career. 
um, what is a rigorous academic standard and an approach to learning that is built around innovation and leadership. And you want it to be a fit. You, know, you want it to be a fit. And so it does get more selective in that way as you go along. But easiest way for folks who are interested is obviously just contact us and, and find out more. <laughs> okay. And so now, um, so you've got schools in South Africa, in Kenya, so East Africa is represented. Yes. Uganda's not there yet, but we wait. Um, <laughs> so the question, of course, would be, you know, when would, when would you be looking at going into Nigeria? Is yeah. that, you it's know, evidence. yeah. Yeah, so actually, Uganda, is, I don't think is that far away, so okay. hopefully we'll be, we'll be uh, you'll be able to go home and yeah. see our schools. Like, um, yeah. uh, but yes, Nigeria, we, we intend to open our first school in Nigeria in September of 2020. Oh, awesome. So we're working on that already. And which part of Nigeria would it be in? Uh, TBD, but okay. we're most likely okay. going to be opening in Lagos. Okay, that's yeah. awesome. That's really awesome. And now, um, just another question that I that I, I thought was quite interesting. What kind of school curriculum does it fall under? What what curri- curriculum does it follow? Yeah, so we vary a little bit by, by country, okay. uh, how we do that. Okay. So, for that's example, good. in Kenya, our schools mm. uh, follow the Kenyan national curriculum, okay. but are taught the pedagogy is consistent across. Mm-hmm. So it's taught in a very rigorous inquiry-based way. Mm-hmm. In South Africa, we use a Cambridge curriculum and are taught in a rigorous uh, inquiry-based way. And in West Africa, we anticipate having a blend okay. between local curriculum and Cambridge. Okay. And sort of just responsive to the, uh, the the specific context of each country. Okay. And then what, 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 what's been the biggest challenge with regards to opening the schools from a, um, how should I say, red tape or getting, you know what I mean, that sort of thing. What's been the biggest yeah. challenge where that's concerned? It's interesting. I, the, the biggest challenges aren't bureaucratic. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's important in any society to have the public sector uh, play a quality assurance and take a strong view on the education of, of and have a, has a, the public sector has a real rights, the public has a real rights to sort of, uh, to be able to make sure that private operators are doing so responsibly. So mm-hmm. that actually, actually has never been um, uh, the main issue. I think the biggest challenge is what, what, makes, what makes us distinctive and what will make us distinctive and enable us to meet our mission and do so while we grow and we grow pretty fast are three things. Um, one is our culture to our people mm-hmm. and then three are how consistent we are in our practices and if I think about what's hard it's, it's both what's most joyful mm-hmm. or what we work the hardest at I think it's those three things it's making sure that our culture is strong mm-hmm. and embedded and it's not it's not just a set of words or values it's an expectation for every student every grown up every family that our six culture principles have lived that's been that's hard work but it's also wonderful in what mm-hmm. it creates the second is people as we probably we, uh, we, we are able to make offers to less than 2.5% of people who apply to sure. Pine. It's, mm. it's And, and there are many wonderful people who don't end up joining because of the fit. And we have to find the right fit and the right uh, really great people. And I'm, so that's the other way the world has really conspired to help us really to create mm. a really great team. And as fast as we're growing, that's a real challenge, making sure we're continuing to, to do that well. And then the third um, is practice. We, we're growing at a rate, rate at which we need to make sure that we're really strong in our practices. Mm-hmm. So those three things actually are what absorb, I'd say, you know, 60 to 75% of our sort of building efforts. Um, the things like, you know, I don't know, municipal registrations of land or, you mm-hmm. know, those are important there. I understand they don't always move as fast as we'd like to move, but um, but that's okay. I think yeah. that's our That's understandable. That hasn't, almost, been, yeah. that hasn't been our biggest uh, challenge. And so, you know, uh, you know, earlier on at the, at the start of this conversation, we spoke about how, you know, when it comes to education, it's seen in Africa, like people 
really hail it you know it's it's mm. part of status and, and yeah. all of that but unfortunately educators or teachers are not always given that same sort of respect so mm. I guess the other question because now yeah. you have a, a student focused uh, schools which is phenomenal and you have three teachers I think per classroom if I'm not mistaken so where do you find these kind of teachers because I imagine that that would these teachers would have to be teachers who are equally as passionate and who actually understand the culture yeah. of what it is that you're trying to put forward yeah. but then also where do you find them and you know uh, that sort of thing and how valued are they to your system yeah so the specific uh, constellation of teachers in a classroom varies by grade mm-hmm. and it's, it's generally a very collaborative teaching teaching environment but in our youngest grades you will have multiple teacher multiple faculty often two actually in our mm-hmm. earliest years and then in our senior years it varies so mm-hmm. just to make sure that the um, just some um, sort of communicating the facts on that but um but yeah but the question is the right question is like how do you find the right fit mm. um, across the world honestly uh, I've been in very few countries and there are few but there are relatively few countries where folks say yeah um, uh, the teaching profession has a public stature that mm. it ought to right um, but that doesn't mean really talented people don't don't aspire to education and w- or wouldn't aspire to education if it were a clearly a professional path that was well invested in that had professional progression in which there was an investment in my craft mm-hmm. so uh, that that sense of uh, creating a professional environment for teachers uh, is, is a tra- does attract top talent so uh, an organization like Teach for America is the single uh, most popular and single most successful recruiter from Ivy League colleges across the US and the top 50 colleges across the US and has done that by creating an environment which high achieving high performing uh, students can aspire to a path that supports that excellence mm-hmm. uh, in, in education, and what I see in in in, in our, with our amazing faculty we have in both South Africa and Kenya, is that yeah you have really intrinsically talented people who have a real mission commitment and a passion for, for students, and what we need to do is both create and communicate that this environment of professional growth where you get real investment, where it's not just, hey, go sit in your classroom and mm-hmm. figure it out, where you've got a, a coach who's coaching a practice, where there's clear career progression, where there's performance review and competence review and development, where you say, wow, this is a professional path. Mm. And my craft is gro- is helping young people grow. And there's a way to be better at it and a way to be less effective at it. And I have coaching support to make me better at it. That's what all of us who are growth-oriented want from a profession. And I get to do that in a way that impacts kids and I get to be part yeah. of their lives my goodness like what could be almost better and exactly. there's you have to you do make a choice and you know yes if I go to do investment banking I'll make a lot more money early on but then that becomes what's your value trade off mm. and, and what are you mm. actually trying to build in your career what's yeah. the impact you want to have and so I find yes we need to we need we collectively need to communicate that opportunity to students in high schools, to students in universities, so they see, wow, there is a real professional path for me in education, Mm -hmm. and then we can attract uh, the best of us into that profession, and then we need to honor it. So those of us who are working schools, public or private, need to honor it with that kind of a professional experience. Sure, I like that. I like the way that you broke that down. It does make a lot of sense. Um, Now, just in closing, uh, Africa State of Mind, when you think Mm -hmm. of that, what comes to your mind? Africa State of Mind, man... um, uh, what comes to mind, what I think of is the state of mind that I think we ought to be adopting uh, looking ahead. Like, nice. like, like the future is African. That's mm-hmm. true. I, and I, I believe that bo- I, I see both the statistics of it in terms of the population mm-hmm. that we will soon, we will before too long be 30% and 40% and <laughs> of, the world. of the world. Yes. <laughs> so that future is African in that sense. But I also almost like at a fundamental spiritual level feel like this is the African century mm. ahead. And I think uh, we ourselves and then 
through the next generations need to have a mindset where, yes, this is our world and we have an opportunity to shape it, to create it, working with everyone else. It's everyone else's world too. But I think for too long, it's been, uh, we've received the message that it's not our world. Mm, and, I, and, and that stunts our aspiration, stunts our, our, our ability to go in there and feel like I'm walking the streets of Barcelona, this is my world too. Mm, right? you, oh, As opposed to so, I'm just a guest so in this powerful. world. Mm. And so I think that when I think about the state of mind, we need a state of mind where we're saying, yes, we're on the front foot, we are self-assured, we, are, we, we work with everyone else in the, wor- else in the world, and we want to go out there and, and we, have, we, are, we are as entitled to this world as anyone else. Mm. And then we have the mindset and the skills and equipped and the intra-African network to build it because I think the future is African and we will decide uh, through our own, our, the legacy of our own lives what we make of it. Sure, that's the most powerful statement I've heard in a long time. Thank you very much. One last very yeah. important question. Jollof rice from Ghana or Nigeria? Uh, you asked Nigeria. <laughs> Can you ask that question? <laughs> you're like, uh, uh, you're like uh, the, the other one you should ask about is plantain. But yeah, plantain. You know. Okay, which plantain? Let's ask the plantain question. Uh, my loyalty is Nigerian, but I do like some kelewele. So. Uh, kelewele is my favorite. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. I tasted it the first, when I was in Ghana, my, one of my last trips to Ghana, actually, somebody's like, have kelewele. I'm like, what's that? When I had it, I was like, oh my gosh, no, are you no, kidding me? Truth, so I can't shows. have normal plantain anymore. I'm like, guys, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but thank you you very much and thank you just for all that you're doing and I meant what I said um, in the beginning with regards to the fact that you're investing in the most important resource that we have in Africa because we often speak about you know the different actual natural resources but the people are the most important mm-hmm. and we have the youngest continent in the world and like you said you know statistics show that Africans are going to be a bulk of the world in not very long from now and mm-hmm. and this investment in young people in Africa is so important because they're going to be defining you know the, the story of Africa moving on so mm-hmm. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for changing the narrative. And yeah. thank you for being an Africa State of Mind. Thank you for the encouragement. Thanks so much. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.